If you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Colossians, and today we're going to be in chapter number two, Colossians chapter two. Today is our, our, our third week in our study on this book of the Bible uh, that's called Colossians, and a quick review to just kind of get us all on the same page because uh, some of us haven't been around and uh, have missed some of it. The book of Colossians is one of the 66 books in our Bible. Uh, 66 books written by about 40 different individuals over a period of 1,600 years in history is what we have. Most of that is to the Jewish people, about the Jewish people, Uh, but Jesus comes about three-quarters of the way through the Bible, and everything from that point on is really uh, now Christianity. As Jesus changed that, Christianity began with Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and all of that. Okay, and so we have that. Uh, out of these 66 books, tons of them are history, tons of them are uh, biography kind of things about a certain person. We have poetry in there, uh, and uh, then the Gospels, what we have four books that are tell the life of Jesus. After that, we really have a whole bunch of letters in our scripture, and that's what the book of Colossians is. Colossians is a short letter that was written by Paul and Timothy. Uh, mostly Paul, though, to a group of Christians in a city called Colossae. That's to the Colossian people is where we get the name Colossians. Uh, What is fascinating about this particular letter is Paul, who wrote it, and Paul wrote at least 13 of the letters that we have in our Bible. Paul, um, in almost every other letter that he wrote, he had been to that place, he had met those people. Colossians is different. Paul has never been to Colossae, and he has never met these people. The story is, and Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. Follow this, okay? I know we're, it's going to be a lot of stuff here right away, but this is going to be uh, significant today. I truly believe that. Colossae, modern-day Turkey, 100 miles straight west is a city called Ephesus, right on the coast. Uh, of the Mediterranean Sea, Ephesus, massive hub. Paul spent years of his life and his ministry in the city of Ephesus. A man from Colossae named Epaphras uh, was in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, the, the Ephesian people, and he hears the message of Jesus from Paul, goes back to his hometown in Colossae, and a new little brand new church starts right there, as, as this man named Epaphras tells people around him and all of this. Okay, a few years later, Paul is arrested for the third or fourth or fifth time. We don't really even know. He was in prison all over the place. Uh, But Paul is in prison now. They think he's all the way in Rome, but there's some other debates on that, whatever. Okay, but Epaphras goes and visits Paul, makes the trip, visits him in prison, and says, Paul, you got to know this, this little group of people in Colossae, things are rocking. Like, they are doing so well. They're loving Jesus. They're serving so well. But, and Epaphras goes on to tell Paul that there are, these, there are some cultural pressures that are pulling at these people and, and pulling at, basically pulling them away from Jesus or attempting to. Uh, and so that is really what this letter is. Paul then, Epaphras goes back, uh, and Epaphras brings a letter with some other things from Paul to these people, encouraging them, saying, you guys are rock stars, so great what you're doing. And then he addresses some of these issues, some of these pressures that they're facing from a cultural way, okay? Uh, The past two weeks have really just been this beautiful introduction that Paul writes, 
as he begins this letter, uh, he dives into this section about Jesus and how Jesus is supreme above all things. He's sufficient. He's all, the, all that you need. Uh, and that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Deep, significant theological things all within the first chapter of Colossians. It's why we believe a lot of the things that we believe. It comes from some of what we talked about the last two weeks. Paul then takes a short section. This was last Sunday where he talks about his own suffering. He tells us that he is, he is in prison, but that God and that Jesus is being glorified even in his suffering and in prison, and great things are happening, and the message of Jesus is moving forward, okay? And he talks about the mystery of God that has now been revealed, okay? It's so good. Uh, that was last week. If you missed either of those first two messages, you can find them on our website, and you can watch those things, okay? Good stuff. Let's put your hands together for that. <clears throat> See what I did there? That was good. It's pretty seamless, Nathan, wasn't it? All right. And so that brings us all the way to today. And I want us to start just by praying together. So will you please stand with me all over this place? And let's just start. I feel like I drooled all over, but it doesn't look like I had it on my shirt. So that's good. <laughs> Can't take me anywhere. Uh, we're just going to take a moment and let's just invite God. Uh, God, God is everywhere all the time, uh, but there is, scripturally, there are moments where God shows up in specific places in a, in a way that's above and beyond that, and that's why we together just kind of invite God into this moment, asking that something significant would come from this right here as we open his word, so let's just pray. God, we, we welcome you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us, to speak to us, to do the things that only you can do. Let your very word move and challenge and change us, oh God. That is what we are after. And so we give this time to you, God. We truly do. Uh, use me, help me, uh, give me strength, God, even. And, and so we just give this to you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Give somebody a high five and have a seat. <coughs> Well, there's a famous, uh, a famous literary classic uh, called Treasure Island, written in the late 1800s uh, by this man named Robert Stevenson. He's from Scotland, of all places. And why do I bring this up? Uh, this book really was the beginning of the way that you and I think about pirates, okay? Uh, with the peg leg and the eye patch and the hat and the sword walking around saying, Arr, like that, that comes from this book, uh, all that stuff. And, and I feel like at this moment right here, I would not be uh, a true and real dad if I did not pause and tell a joke. Would you agree? Like a pirate joke. There's a lot of good pirate jokes out there. I'm not going to ask what his favorite, their favorite letters are. We're not going to go there. That's a little too, but... Um, some of you might have heard this one because I've said this before, but what did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? He said, I, matey. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, help me out here. I do not, I do not get that joke. That's so good, isn't it? Um, oh, wow. Uh, this, this book also kind of is where we get the treasure map 
thing that so many books and movies have been built around, X marks the spot, all of that comes from this. In fact, the plot kind of hinges on them finding this chart or this map. Uh, But that's not enough because now they are kind of uh, faced with the challenge of reading the thing, understanding it, uh, and if they can successfully read and understand the treasure map, it will lead them to the buried treasure, treasure that has been that has been hidden for many years, perhaps even centuries, and they would be rich beyond their wildest dreams. That is the premise of that book. Uh, But in stuff like this, there's always uh, problems that come up. And some people think that the map is just imaginary, it's not real, uh, it's just fabricated, whatever, and there's no treasure, and some people are pulling from that side. Others are saying, no, 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 you're not reading the map right, you're not understanding it right, uh, and you have all of this. There's dangers that are to be faced, both in the journey to the far-off island, in the threat from other people, okay? You get the idea. But what we want as we read that type of stuff and as we watch movies like that, we want the, the good guy, the hero, to find the treasure in the end and defeat the bad guys and everything goes, yeah. Are you with me? Yeah, come on, that's good. Paul, uh, in his letter here, is going to begin to use language like this, uh, almost pirate language in a way, uh, but he's also going to use language of what we talked about, about people pulling one way, people saying, this is not real, this is whatever, people pulling on another way who are saying, no, you're not reading it right, you're not doing it right, and so we're filled with this context. Uh, This would be the very end of what Pastor Corey read last week, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read this as we get into our text for today, which actually starts in verse 6. But Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea, which is only about 15 miles straight north, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, all, in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Okay, so already we have riches, we have mystery, we have treasure just in the phrasing that he's using here. The finding the truth about Jesus. We see this in other, lang- in other places in the Bible as well. We're not going to look at this, but then look at what he says next, and this is verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, Paul here is setting these people up. He's about to address address the issues that they're facing, the pressures that they're facing from their culture. In fact, um, I've titled this today, The Pressure to Turn Away. The Pressure to Turn Away is really what this is. Uh, And so he's throwing all of that stuff, and uh, he's saying there's some things you're you're hearing in your culture, and those things sound good, and those things sound right, but in reality, they are not Jesus. And already, even as I say that, things in our culture that may sound good, that may sound right, that may be convincing arguments, because how many of you know that people can get up and some of the strongest debaters and communicators in the world can make anything sound really good? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
and our culture is saying things all the time, but we as Christians, it is our job and it is our role to try to figure out what this looks like. From a Christian perspective, by the way, not from a Republican and Democrat perspective, we are here today as Christians, as people who want to live our lives for God. You can be political, but don't let your politics uh, come in above your Christian and your faith. That's where we get off, okay? The idea that Christianity and Republican, whatever, is united is a bunch of baloney, okay? It really is. I, I was not planning on it. This is dangerous stuff here. I got to be careful, okay? But, but sincerely, let's focus on Jesus here and, and politics, and I believe that stuff can flow out of our heart that is moved by God, all right, what we need, not in, we, we don't, America doesn't need Washington to get their act together. America needs the Christian church to stand up and do what we are called to do, to love people and to learn. Wow. Thanks. I was going to keep going until somebody clapped right there. <clears throat> so now we can move on, okay? Um, and so now he's going to dive, Paul is going to dive into these issues, these pressures that they are facing. The issues Paul is talking about can be split into two categories, and we're going to start here before we get to them. And I put these under the category of two influences to resist. The first is what would be called mystical polytheism. You know what that is, right? No, I'll tell you in a second. And the second would be what we would call observance of the law of the Torah. Let me quickly explain. This is the pressures for Colossae and for these people, and really this Greek world, and you're going to see as we get farther along into it that these are very relevant and very real for us today, okay? Uh, polytheism, poly means many, theism means God. So that is simply just many gods, many gods. And here's the situation of these people. These new Christians in Colossae, had, all of them had grown up worshiping the various Greek and Roman gods. This is a Greek and Roman culture. And when we say Greek and Roman together, it's really because the Greek side, Alexander the Great, a couple hundred years before, went through this entire region and conquered the entire stinking thing. By the time Jesus comes, the Roman Empire has taken that over. And so you have this weird thing in history. It's like Greek and Roman uh, in all of this. Okay, uh, And so the Greek idea of religion was that there are a million gods. There are gods for everything under the sun, including the sun, okay? You had gods for uh, agriculture. You had gods for family. You had gods for sex and reproduction, fertility. There were gods for whatever, the rain and the drought and all of this type of stuff. And the worship was temples all over these cities, and you would worship multiple gods all the time. And if bad things begin to happen in their, in their lives, if there was a drought, if someone's having trouble getting pregnant, if disease and sickness is going, if the weather's bad, like you, they would immediately assume that the gods or one of the gods has been angered. And they have not been doing what they should in that way. This was their background. This is what all of them grew up 
just pushed and, and pulled and ingrained in their mind all of the time. It's what they knew, it's who they were, it's how they lived, it's how their parents lived, how their grandparents lived, how their grandparents' parents lived. Many of us, we don't, like, we don't have uh, polytheism as our situation, but you maybe have a history and a heritage of a specific religion, and you just, you just were born that. You know what I'm talking about? That's what all of these people were that way. These Christians are now different, but there is going to be constant pressure in everyday life to just sort of fall back into the old way and to just make Jesus one of another of the gods on the list. Understand that. That's, that's what that means. Okay? That right there is mystical polytheism. Okay? At the same time, there was great pressure in this region from the Jewish community for these non-Jewish people, and all of Colossae was non-Jewish people, but there was this pressure for them to complete their commitment to the Messiah Jesus by following all of the laws that were written in what's called the Torah. The Torah would have been the, the, the Jewish law, the Old Testament, the first five books of our Bible. And these were things like these people needed to start eating kosher, uh, observing the sacred Jewish days, and getting circumcised. And in this letter, Paul is going to throw, throw a whole bunch of this stuff out there Okay, but we read in a different letter, very close to this, a letter called Galatians, that this was a major issue in this region. In fact, what was happening is that these Jewish people would kind of follow Paul around. And Paul would, would go to a city like Galatia or Ephesus, and, he, and a new Christian church would start. He would leave and go somewhere else, and these Jewish people would jump in there and say, no, 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 Paul forgot some stuff. You actually got to do this and this and this and this and this as well. So that's what's happening here, okay? And so we have a pull in two different directions to these people. Many gods, Jesus is just one of them. And, oh, Paul, didn't, you haven't included everything. You actually need to become a Jew in order to finalize this. This is the cultural pull of what's happening here, okay? And to that is where Paul writes, I tell you this so that, you, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, we get to verse number six, and here's where we are for today. Nod your head if you're ready for this. There we go. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, that was the longest introduction in the history of the world. That's hilarious right there. I thought that was really funny. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, verse 6, so here's what he writes. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture. I've preached this a number of times. A different translation just says like, let your lives be built on him. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Uh, most recently, I used this text actually in the beginning of June when we were talking about our Win the Day series. But today, as we look at this, we're getting a much bigger picture of why, uh, why this was written. These former... Uh, Roman, Greek, God worshipers uh, ha have now experienced the truth of Jesus. And Paul writes to them, he says, Just as you received the Lord, 
let your roots grow down into him and continue to live your lives in him. Like this stuff preaches all on its own, but, but it's all in the same thought of what comes next. Okay, verse number eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There is a lot here, and we've got to move a little bit quickly through this, but Paul is pointing, he's starting to point to some of the pressures that are coming. The Greek culture, he calls it hollow, calls it deceptive, calls it based on human tradition, okay, and spiritual forces of this world. And I think immediately we can look at our culture and say so much of this is hollow, so much of this is deceptive, so much of this spiritually is based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of this world. Our culture has some similarities. Thing, And he just ends this by saying, yeah, 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 like those people are focusing on all of that stuff rather than on Jesus. And this is a problem here. Because listen to me here, Jesus is not something just to be added to your life. It is not just another piece to be added to who you are in the puzzle. And I've got my, I've got my family life, and I've got my career life, and I've got my entertainment life, and I've got my church life. And those are all different things. That's not how this is supposed to work. Understand, Jesus is supposed to be the center of everything you are and everything you do. And so as these Greek people are being pulled towards this polytheism idea of multiple gods, Jesus is just one of many, okay, Paul is saying here, no, 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 Jesus is all of it. You can't do it this way, all right? And that speaks very clear to us as, as well today, okay? Okay, if we have time, we'll come back to that, but we'll see. Then in verse number nine, Paul begins this lengthy paragraph where he just like goes off on Jesus and what he's done uh, and who he is. Let's read this together. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Like God in everything that he is, is now become a man, become a person. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Like he is all that you need, okay, in there. He is the head over every power and authority. Uh, if you were here the first week, he's, he's kind of hinting at what he's already written in that beautiful poetry section of the introduction of this letter. He's coming back to it again. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. And some of us are like, what in the stink is he talking about when he brings up circumcision? This is getting kind of weird. Okay, And here we have the start of Paul's attack on the Jewish stuff here. That's what this is. Circumcision was central to what it means to be a Jewish person. In fact, if you were an adult male who was not a Jew and you wanted to convert to Jew, to be a Jew, it was like, okay, drop your pants. Martha, where's my knife? This is what it's like to become a Jew. Some of you are like, I can't believe he said that. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, but Paul, like circumcision was just central to them, and they took that from some of the stuff from hundreds of years ago, okay? It's sincerely, if you wanted to become a Jew and you were an adult male, you had to get circumcised to do that. And Paul here is saying the only circumcision you need is a circumcision that God did in your heart, and he's like, 
drop the mic and walk off. I mean, this is, this is what he's doing here. Okay, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, this is an internal thing that's happening, cutting off of the old flesh, not a literal circumcision at all. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, he just continues. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, like that was all like to set up what he wants to say right here. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Now, he's not talking about like, okay, you go into the state fair and it's like, I'm going to do the cheese curds and then, and you're walking around with this and you're like, don't judge me, okay? That's not what this is, okay? Some of us are like, yeah, don't judge me there either. But this is kosher Jewish diet. He, he's talking about, okay, uh, the Jewish people are saying, hey, you, you're missing it when it comes to this thing with Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. You also need to stop eating pig and all of this type of stuff, and you can't eat bacon anymore and whatever else, okay? And he's saying, don't let them judge you on that. Or, or in regard with, to a religious festival, the Jewish people had all of these religious festivals going on to celebrate their past and do all this type of stuff. The Jewish people were, were coming in and pulling them that direction in that way. A new moon celebration or a Sabbath day, Jewish things. They, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. They're pulling at you and pulling at you on this direction towards all the gods. Jesus is just one of them. On this direction towards you're not reading the map right here. You got to do this and this and this as well. On all, and, Jesus, and Paul is just like, no, 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 no. It's found in Jesus right down the center. I love that, okay? Don't let people judge you on that stuff. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions of their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. This paragraph right here, by the way, is super confusing. Um, I read all sorts of things about it, all sorts of commentaries. All, tons of Bible scholars all disagree on some of this stuff right here. Uh, we, what we have is a translation of this original letter into our language. It was originally writ, written in Greek, and apparently the Greek words here are quite confusing. Angel worship, false humility, unspiritual minds. It's confusing in the original language, but I think we get the point. There are people who are pulling at them doing weird spiritual stuff, doing things for selfish gains, okay? And Paul says those people have lost connection with Jesus, okay? So get that and feel that with us. People doing weird spiritual stuff, people pulling at, uh, you know, using this stuff even for selfish gains, and Paul's like, knock it off. Don't go there. It's about Jesus. They've lost connection with Jesus. And then the final section for today, and then we're going to kind of put this in a beautiful 
little bow and open it and it's going to explode in your face. That's what's going to happen, okay? Uh, But verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are the rules that are being, they're pulling, pulling at them. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, they're based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Okay? Such things you're, you're being pulled at have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, All of these final verses bring this all together. All of this stuff, all of these pressures, all of these cultural things that are pulling at you in multiple directions, those things actually lack, they, don't, they lack any value. Man-made rules can appear wise and pious, but they have no value for sanctification. For actually, no actual value in making a person right with God. The man-made rules and traditions. Now, now that's a lot of stuff. Like that was 23 verses that we read today. That's a massive chunk. Uh, It's a lot of cultural strange things from 2,000 years ago. And it can be easy to read this and just kind of blow it off as old, outdated, not non-relevant for today. But before we kind of finish this this morning, I want to make a single observation from what we read. And we could take this in so many directions, and I spent a bunch of time praying and putting this together, and this is where I just feel like we're going today. One big umbrella that I feel like holds all of this today. Write this down if you're taking notes. Spiritual complacency and religious legalism are still pulling at Christians today, okay? Spiritual complacency and religious legalism are still pulling at Christians today. Legalism on one side, complacency at, on the other. Pulling at us all the time, every day. What do I mean by that? For these Christians in Colossae, Okay, we, we talked about this over and over again. One side, the pull was for them to focus less on Jesus. Less on Jesus. Jesus is just one of a number of different gods. We've got Zeus and we've got whatever else, Greek stuff. Hercules, maybe that's not a god. I don't know. He's kind of half god. I don't think that was it. Okay, but we got all this type of stuff. Jesus is just one of those gods over there. We focus less on Jesus so that we can worship them all. Complacency is focusing less on Jesus, spiritual complacency. On the other side, the pull is for them to focus more on religious rules and more on religious traditions. Get circumcised, remember the special holidays, eat certain foods, dress a certain way. Complacency on one side, legalism on the other. Now listen very closely. It's this pendulum swing that is pulling at them and it's pulling at us here today. Too focused on religious rules on one side and living spiritually complacent on the other. 
Okay, Jesus is just one of many things. And it can be so easy for us to look at this and miss this because we don't have our culture pulling at us saying, worship all these number of gods. And we don't have Jewish people knocking on our door saying, get circumcised if you're not and start eating right. We don't have that. But listen, okay, this was an issue in the first century. It's an issue right now. Okay, our culture is all the time pulling us towards spiritual complacency. Give me a minute on this right here. We have boats, and we have cabins, and we have campers, and we have fish houses, and we have nice things, and we have golf courses, and shopping malls, and more food than we need, and central air and multiple vehicles, and iPhones, and Netflix, and social media. And listen to me, all of these things individually are fantastic and awesome. They are gifts that we have as first world Americans that we can enjoy. But I'm just telling you, when all of this stuff in our culture gets jumbled together, it creates a culture in which self-centeredness prevails. When my life is now about me. And my life is about my own happiness and my own satisfaction and, and me having fun and my family enjoying all of that. And having fun, not a bad thing. Enjoying life, not a bad thing. Selfishly living your life in a way that you are the God, a bad thing. And our culture is pulling at us all the time, every day, okay? You need a different car. You need a new iPhone. Yours is outdated. <clears throat> over and over and over again, everything is pulling us away from Jesus being the center and into this self-centered, spiritual, complacent way of life. We call ourselves a Christian nation when the average churchgoer goes to church 1.4 times a month. Why do we do that? Because we got a lot of junk and toys we got to use. Okay? Keep your boat. Borrow it to me. Okay? <laughs> but let's not, allow, let us not allow the wealth and the freedom that we have in America pull us towards spiritual complacency. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Now, uh, and, then, and then we have the other side. We have the other side, and for some, of us, for some of us, this is your battle. Spiritual complacency is your battle, and you know it. And the other side, and we're getting, ready, we're getting ready to finish. For some of us today, your battle is actually against religious legalism, and you may not even know it. Because many of us grew up here in central Minnesota in a culture that is ingrained in religion. And your parents did things, and your grandparents did things in a certain way, and religion was who you are and what you did, okay? Uh, and we have a very religious way of understanding God. Basically, that God and this God stuff is about doing certain things and not doing certain things. And if I do certain things, then I'm a good Christian and I go to heaven. So I baptize my kids and I go to church and I do Lent and I do confession and confirmation and I give a little money why do I do these things? Because this is what being a Christian means. And it's the way that you have viewed all of this stuff. Listen to me so closely. Like, both sides of this pendulum are toxic. 
Both sides are toxic. Spiritual complacency is not how this is supposed to look. We, we read about Jesus who says things like, pick up your cross and die every single day to yourself. Okay? Toxic way to live. Your, and if you're living this Christian thing with nothing more than, than a checklist of to-dos and nots when it comes to this religious stuff, that is a toxic way to handle this. There is a middle that is this beautiful, life-giving relationship with Jesus as we fully understand what he has done and our good works and the way we live our lives overflows out of that. And that's what Paul is bringing us back to. You don't earn your way to heaven by doing religious things, okay? Just like Paul tells these Greek people, they don't have to get circumcised and eat kosher. Paul would say to us, it's not about what you do and don't, it's truly about faith in what Jesus has done. Music team, will you please come? As we just kind of prepare to close today, I want to just present a question for you to think about. Um, which, Which direction do you tend to swing? When we look at this idea of spiritual complacency or religious tradition, and legalism. Which way do you tend to swing? Because we all have a tendency to swing one, one way or the other. And for some of us in this place, you, you know that your tendency is to go towards this complacent, apathetic, when I have time, Jesus is just a little part of everything that I do. Okay, And that is your tendency right there. For some of us, you have, you've been so ingrained and so grown up in, in churchiness and church stuff that this actually has become about rules and regulations and tradition and all of that stuff. And your life and your tendency is for it to swing that way for you. For you, which way do you feel like you are pulled? Because we're all pulled. And what does it look like for us to take a step even away from that into a more centered balanced, uh, beautiful relationship with God. God, we, we come to you today wanting this beautiful, balanced relationship with Jesus. But God, we feel a pull from our culture all the time. And there are multiple pulls, God, not just the two that we're talking about today. But God, we just pray for this stuff. And I pray first God, for this complacency that is rampant in our culture and for those that are even lifting their hands right now that are saying, yes, God, this is my pull. This is, this is what I feel from our culture uh, uh, to live a, a life where Jesus is not the center. God, a life of spiritual complacency and apathy. And God, I pray that today would be in, in a way uh, an awakening as we become so aware of that pull in our life every single day. God, and I also pray for those today that deal with this religious uh, legalism, rules and traditions, and this way of thinking about what it looks like to be a Christian. God, I pray that that stuff would be broken. And I pray that our good works and the things that we do for you would come out of our love 
for you and what you have done, not to try to make ourselves right with you, but God, that that would overflow out of our lives. And so for those even who are lifting their hands, saying, yes, that's me, I pray that this would be a significant moment in those lives, that they would be free from that, God. We love you and we need you. And God, even for those today who have never responded to your message, who have never accepted, God, the forgiveness and the grace that you freely give, God, I pray that this would be a moment for somebody where that happens. In fact, if you're here today right now and you're saying, that's me, that's me, I have never responded and received Jesus into my life and into my heart and I need to do that today. If that's you, you can just begin to talk to him and begin to pray and begin to say, yes, God, I need that. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. God, I, I, I need you so much. You can begin to even say that. And so God, I just pray for those that are making that decision in this moment. Challenge us, change us, move us. God, we pray, we love you, and we need you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said?